welcome to the Future Frontline podcast. My name is Nikki and I'm a second year medical student at King's College London and one of the co-founders of the Future Frontline. Today I had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Dan Giron and Chris Cherry from UOK Doc. We discuss all things about doctors' mental health as well as actionable steps that aspiring and current medical students can do to look after their own mental health and also promote a better culture within medicine for speaking about mental health. So I really hope you enjoy. So hello everyone, Um, thank you all for tuning in today. I'm really excited today to be speaking to Dr. Dan Giron, founder of UOK Doc, and Chris Cherry, a psychotherapist and co-founder of UOK Doc. Um, So hello to both of you. Hi, Nikki. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. No, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to sort of delve into UOK Doc and just speak about, you know, from a student perspective as well, the importance of mental health and the sort of change that students can really be driving for. So for anyone listening who hasn't heard of UOK Doc before, would you be able to sort of give a brief overview of who, who you are and what you do? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, uh, so you, um, UOK Doc's a mental health charity uh, for doctors. It was founded in uh, September 2018 uh, and uh, it was launched uh, just prior to the pandemic uh, last year in 2020. Um, we have kind of an array of services um, uh, and um, it's kind of led uh, by, by our founding ambassadors and also Chris, um, uh, who's here with us. Um, and those services include, we have a text, um, a, a text 24-hour service, which is completely confidential and free. We have a huddle service. So the huddle is a, is a safe place where uh, doctors and medical students can come together um, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. to uh, discuss any worries that they may have. And Chris uh, facilitates that, and uh, that's really taking off recently. Um, we also have a very good ambassador network that uh, medical students and doctors can join. Uh, and we have uh, hosted two webinar series, one in partnership with First Responders First um, that was initiated by Harvard. Um, and um, we also have a podcast as well. Uh, in the future, we are developing another webinar series. So kind of watch this space. Uh, and also uh, we're developing a wellness and mental health course as well with um quite prominent industry partners as well. So that's exciting. I mean, uh, every time I hear you say all this stuff, Dan, I'm just gobsmacked by how much it's grew, it's just developed because the charity is very young, relatively. Um, yeah. And in some ways the COVID, you know, it preceded the COVID, but the COVID just brought an urgency and a clear necessity for the charity to become much more visible. But people's responses in the things that Dan's just laid out, the people who uh offer their time and uh, presence on the webinars it's just a huge incredibly important valuable group of people so every time you t- you t- you remind me dan of how much it's grown and how much it's uh, it, the, the the more it grows the the clearer the the just the obvious need for for the kind of resources that the uh, charity is, is 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 sort of creating it's just so clear yeah it's it's um uh, it's a good question that you asked, Nikki. But there's such a, like I want to tell you so much about what we've done <laughs> uh, that uh, I, th- you know, I could be here for an hour explaining all the guest speakers that we've had on on our webinar series and things like that. But it really has been pretty uh, an amazing journey so far, and I think one that will only uh, get better. Yeah, I think an important sorry. I think I think an important thing, Dan, is to because I think just as importantly is the reasons why the charity came into being, because I think this speaks, uh, I would imagine, to, to people listening. Is some of your own story, Dan? Yeah, do you want me to go ahead with that, Nikki? Yeah, of course. If you're happy so, to sort of share your own story with us, that would be amazing. Yeah, of course. So uh, just to introduce myself, uh, my name's Dan, I'm the founder. Um, I'm a core surgical trainee, so I'm in my second year of core surgical training on a cardiothoracic program. Uh, and I'm doing a master's at uh, Cambridge with a business school as well. Um, the The reason why I set up the charity is kind of ma- um, is manifold, um, but one of the most prominent reasons is that uh, I had a family member that uh, tragically I lost, um, who was a consultant anaesthetist, um, uh, who took her own life back in 2016. And um, 
kind of the way that happened is that she she was a cousin of mine and uh, as cousins go we were pretty close uh, because I did my internal elective with her at King's College in London um, and uh, I was with her on the intensive care unit and um, you know kind of I have this one memory of 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 going around on a ward round with her as a fourth year medical student unfortunately also that year I lost my own father during medical school that wasn't completely unexpected but it was nonetheless very tough um, and I remember going round uh, uh, with her on a ward round and uh, her going through all the patients and seeing a lot of uh, patients that were intubated and ventilated having taken an overdose and drank you know quite a lot of alcohol whether that was accidental or intentional and I remember her saying to me like Danny you know never do this because uh well no sorry she said never do this in the middle of a field never take drink or drugs in the middle of a field because no one will find you and there was a lot of patients in in the intensive care unit that had done just that and unfortunately like a couple of years later Liz was found in a very similar way uh, in December 2016 and I think you know, I, I received a phone call from my sister. Uh, uh, I was on a GP placement as an F2 at the time. And um, having, ex I haven't really experienced that much grief in my life um, and loss, but you know, that this was probably like my third major, major loss. And uh, it's a very different experience <clears throat> when you realize that someone's taken their own life. And then when you realize that there is, they're a consultant and they're a doctor, and there's probably factors that played into that. Um, so that that really kind of upturned my world for a, for a bit um, uh, during the preceding months after that, and that was really kind of the uh, the foundation for starting for a UK doc. Although two years prior to when it was actually founded, um, it just seemed the most obvious thing in 2018. That's why I should start. I, I always wanted to start a charity and I never knew what it was going to be in, but that seemed the most, you know, it, it just seemed the most obvious that it would be in mental health for doctors because of that story. Yeah, thank you so much for sort of sharing that with us. I, I can imagine, I can't, I mean, I can't even begin to sort of imagine what that's like, but like, I think you've, you pointed out, you know, being a doctor as well, I think it can impact your mental health in so many ways. and. The, like Chris mentioned earlier, the pandemic has really reinforced the need to sort of promote mental health support for doctors. And I mean, it's amazing that you've sort of turned such a tragic experience into something so positive and are helping so many people. So I just mean, th I mean, thank you really. As, as a current medical student, it brings me so much hope to see that, I mean, that there are other doctors, there are doctors out there that are really putting in effort to support to support mental health and sort of change the culture within medicine and I think we are definitely making steps and I think the pandemic will hopefully make change sort of come about quicker yeah with, with actually I've actually I've got a question for you do you have any and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but any mental health or well-being support during your time at King's um, so do you mean um, like have I accessed support myself or if there no. is support out there no, I guess, no, so not if there is support, it's more, are you proactively taught how to look after your mental health and well-being as a doctor, as a, you know, as a future doctor and as, um, and as a medical student, is it part of your curriculum? Um, so to be honest, um, so I'm in my second year and so yeah. far we haven't had that sort of education, I suppose, um, in terms of, I mean, we've had no sort of timetable teaching on this is how you deal with bad situations as a doctor or as a medical student if you're out of your depth this is what you should do we haven't necessarily had that formal teaching I know yeah. that um, once you're in your final year there's a sort of a module um, at King's which is meant to sort of help you prepare for that transition to the foundation program where you get to shadow foundation doctors and I believe you also do get some sort of um, teaching regarding sort of stress and well-being but it's not something at least at, in the course at King's so far that's sort of integrated from day one and that's something myself personally I'm trying to change I've sort of started ha having conversations um, with faculty to sort of for me at least imposter syndrome is something I'm really passionate about and sort of creating education on that because um, yeah. I think it's something that students aren't necessarily taught um, how to dealt with deal with appropriately and I think that um, you know I think you just asking that question it sort of hits close to home that when I think about it, wow, I mean, I'm studying how to become a doctor. 
but at the same time no one's sort of teaching me how to look after myself in the process which I think is quite it's a very interesting point yeah it's 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 um I think it's a yeah it's a it's a point that I that I am thinking about more and more especially recently like I just did that interview uh, before jumping on to here and it was a point that I made then and I know when I went to medical school and uh, the other ambassadors of the charity I know that we didn't experience or had very little like we had pastoral support you know and that's a very reactive kind of support isn't it yeah. but we didn't have any um, kind of proactive you know well-being mental health advice because there are certain triggers as a doctor that will put you under undue stress that are predictable you know so yeah whether that's the first time you certify a death, um, which I completely cocked up as a F1. <laughs> so I had the family watching me, I should have sent the family out, but, um, but the, you know, uh, but that's always a weird feeling after you do that, or, or if it's when you get a complaint against you or things like that, those are kind of very steady triggers that are gonna put um, a doctor under stress and uh, uh, leaving them maybe needing support um, that I've, would be fairly easy to be um, to have teaching around. Mm, yeah. So, do I? So, do you think it's sort of better than? Do you think the sort of medical curriculum maybe needs to change and there needs to be something sort of standardized? That sort of standardized education on how to deal with these things from day one. Would you say? Um. I so I yeah I do I mean I so I graduated five years ago so um, I in my mind it's changed but it sounds like it hasn't um uh but it is something that yeah for sure because i think uh ultimately nikki i think every doctor wants to be a good doctor a safe doctor and provide the highest patient care and in order to do that you know you, you have to be a bit of an athlete about it you have to look after yourself and i think as doctors we're all really good at looking after our patients and probably the one thing that we're not good at looking after is ourselves and um if you can take that kind of mantra of an athlete, which is I need to look after myself, you know, all the time to make sure I'm in peak performance to perform in a match or something, then actually I think that would, you know, improve your experience as a doctor and improve your patient's journey as well. So yeah, I do think it should be definitely inbuilt. I don't think it needs to be, I don't think it, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 yeah, it just needs to be in there um, uh, uh, and it needs to be kind of, taught and yeah I think medical students should be taught how to deal with it and I think that probably should continue as, as you're a doctor as well because different specialities would have different stresses as well right mm. like ITU will have very different stresses to um uh, uh to people that are training in surgery to GPs you know GP can be quite isolating if you're not if you're not really working in a team I'm sure, I'm sure some GPs will disagree with that um you know whereas you're working in ITU it's also a different experience and yeah, those are my thoughts. Sorry, I feel like I'm overtaking this conversation. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's, re it's really interesting to sort of hear, hear your sort of views on the topic. And, you know, like you said, I mean, you left medical school five years ago, but it's interesting to see maybe what has and what hasn't changed um, in that time. But I think especially in recent years, I do think mental health is starting to be given um, sort of the platform it deserves. But I think some something interesting I'd um, so it'd be interesting to hear. It'd be interesting to hear both of your perspectives on this. Is um, sort of why do you think, in the first place, it is so hard for doctors or any healthcare profession, professional, for that matter, to sort of access mental health support or be able to sort of put their hands up and say, you know, look, I'm struggling. I could really do with some help and support right now. Christian, I let you take that one. Well, actually, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've got lots of thoughts and. Um things to, to add to the conversation that, that's already taken place. But why, why don't you, um, as a doctor yourself, Dan, what's your, because in some ways this whole conversation, and, and this is part of it, is a building of a, of a community where it's much more, it just makes sense to be having these conversations. So even that, that question about, should it be in the, you know, should it be part of student uh, courses, curriculums, even having that conversation, it seems like that's just an obvious yes, the, the, the attention really now is the kind of education, the resources, the understanding about mental health and the way that Dan's just said, but also pro, well, part of what Dan's talking about is proactively looking after your mental health uh, and emotional well-being, but also being able to understand your own 
emotional vulnerabilities, not just in the environment you're in, but just who you are in yourself. You know, part of this journey that doctors seem to be on is, is a growing and, and increasing curiosity about how you as an individual respond uh, as an emotional uh, person to the situations you find yourself in. Yeah, I think um, it's a complex question, I th- uh, really. And I think obviously it's, it can be seen on an individual basis, but then also on a broader spectrum of, of why doctors in general find that. And if you, if you take that conception that maybe doctors do find it a bit harder to come forward uh, uh, in general, um, I think it's a multifactorial um, uh, kind of reasoning behind it. Um, I think we have a, and I think Chris will probably be able to explain this a bit better than I can, but I think doctors have a, a duty to care to their patients. Um, and I think that kind of moral code is so high that um, when we are struggling, whether that's physically or mentally, we really find it difficult to take that sick leave or compassionate leave um, because we feel very guilty. Uh, and UK Doc has done a podcast on this about guilt uh, and uh, when doctors feel guilty. Um, but I think doctors can feel very guilty when they're calling in sick, even though it's completely justified, um, or when there's compassionate leave that's completely justified, they feel like they're letting down their team and their patients. And I think that's something that uh, uh, is really kind of ingrained in us from medical school. Um, and if I kind of draw on that comment, I was thinking the other day, even when my, my father died during medical school, I felt a sense, I felt a huge sense of duty to return after like 10 days. Like his funeral hadn't even happened then, and I didn't. Like, thankfully, I took three weeks off. But I think even then, it was expected that I only take two weeks, and then I come back. And there was, and I just remember my thoughts and feelings at that time that it was quite rigid that I had to be back within two weeks, and that otherwise that was it. Otherwise, I was going to be kicked out. Of, you know, as a fourth year med student, I was going to be kicked out of medical school, which was kind of a ridiculous thought. Uh, but anyway, the, so so yeah, I think one of them is our sense of duty as a doctor. Um, the other, um, I, I, you know what, I don't know why doctors find it so hard, but I know that they do because I find it very hard to kind of say when I'm struggling. Um, I think there's a sense of vulnerability that goes along there. I think, you know, we're inherently in quite a competitive workplace, even though we're not maybe competitive with each other's, uh, with each other when we're working, we want to be seen to be doing well. Um, and we're all kind of, um, I guess, maybe type A personalities that, that don't want to be seen to be vulnerable. I think there's probably a stigma attached to, to that as well, that if you say you're struggling, what will your peers say? Um, I think it's a hugely complex uh, answer that I probably can't cover. I don't know, Chris, if you've got anything else to add to what I've no, said. I mean, I, th- I mean, I think that was a really good answer. Um, you touched on several points. I mean, I suppose... As you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm of a generation where doctors, particularly GPs, but doctors, you know, just the medical service, they were on a pedestal that was more, more uh, sort of diverse in terms of why, whereas now it's sort of intertwined with a, 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 a kind of a romantic version of the NHS. Uh, but at the same time, there's more expectations of doctors um, to cover all sorts of things, including people's emotional health, um, and to be seen continuing to have an authority and a presence that seems, you know, by your very nature, you're you're working with people who are anxious or uncertain, afraid. So you're already having to manage, respond, have empathy, or 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 focus on clinical uh, conversation with your patients. Um, uh, that, that also gives, I think, enormous pressure to be able to hold yourself as well. And in some ways, that there's one of the things that came up in the huddle a couple of weeks ago was just the sexualization of, uh, of women by male patients, including, you know, just revealing themselves. Um, and of course, as soon as the, the, someone mentioned this, it was just obvious, but it, it just it was still quite a shock. So I think there's also a lot of maybe groups of people talk about things, but as a group, as a community, I think there's just a lot still to just be able to 
acknowledge just straightforwardly and then start to look at how to respond, um, look at the consequences, the effects, and how, with more understanding, the sort of resources that doctors need. Yeah, no, I think that there are some amazing points that you've both just sort of touched on. I think the, the main thing that it's really, I think everything's coming back to is the fact that we have to change the culture and, in, and environment that doctors are working in for sort of any um, long-term beneficial changes to be seen. And I mean, you know, it's all good for us to say we need to change the culture, but how, how exactly do you think we can go about doing that? And I mean, from a student perspective as well, I think um, a lot of students really want to change the culture, but I think it's really easy to think I'm so, I'm so sort of junior in my career. What can I do as a person to bring a positive change in this space? So what are your thoughts um, on that? So I think, I think there's, so I've just written down literally like there's kind of three areas, I think. So you've got like, you know, like as med students, you guys are starting off in your career and then you've got the consultants that are at the top, you know, at the more senior end of their career. And then you've got um, in the middle, you have uh, teams, like you're going to be working in teams a lot of your career. And I think what you guys are doing by doing this podcast and creating light on it and having a sense of awareness of mental health uh, in your profession is something that as you'll get more senior, you'll carry that uh, moral kind of code with you. And then it will be with you when you become a consultant. So when you become a consultant, you're then at the kind of what I put on my list is the top there. And then you will have an awareness for your juniors. Um, so anyone that's not a consultant and below and also your peers of their mental health and well-being. So I think that's one thing that, you know, if you can start being aware of the men, you know, your mental health and uh, wellness, uh, especially as doctors and be aware of those certain triggers that can cause stresses uh, amongst doctors. That's essentially one big thing that we're doing. But obviously, you know, there may be 10, 15 years before you become a consultant. Uh, but the fact that you can make that awareness at least amongst your year group and the year groups around you is a big is a big thing i think the second um thing is that there is a general shift isn't there since the pandemic like you suggested um uh, and there's more awareness like the topic when i had to pitch the charity you know uh within my masters the topic that doctors needed mental health support was pretty unheard of in fact it was quite hard like people didn't really understand it and that that shift has, that cultural shift has changed. People understand that concept. So you're kind of on a winning, you know, you, you, I think we're on a winning platform at the moment. But also like, I think going back to the list that I created, the middle part was team. And it, this is something that Professor Neil Greenberg, um, who will hopefully be talking again on, in our next webinar series along Professor Saxena, he spoke about quite well. And uh, it's teams. And as a, as a med student, and as a doctor, you'll be working in teams a lot and you'll be rotating in teams a lot. So it's an F1, it's usually every four months. And then as you go increase through your training, it's usually every six months until you're a consultant. And that team is really important. Sometimes you can be in the hardest jobs, but you can be the happiest because you have a good team around you. And Professor Neil Greenberg uh, said in one of our webinars that, you know, resilience isn't built with, um, uh, within the individual, it's built within the team. And it's built within, sorry, between, how, let me say that again. He said, um, resilience isn't built um, within the individual. It's built between them. So the resilience is built within the team. So if you have a good team and if you have a supportive team and obviously uh, being aware of that fact, you can be one of those pillars that, that can support one another. That would be really important. But also as you go through into your senior uh, side of your career, you know, you can uh, facilitate a good team structure. And I know people, I know we're taught a lot about teams as doctors, but I don't think we're taught about that side um, of teams. Like I'm like, as a surgeon, I'm taught, you know, and I see at Patworth, the most amazing teams working together in, in operations. It's like textbook, you know, you can't think of anything better. And actually they're very good with supporting one another. But, um, but, but I think what is less taught is about how the team is very important, not only for optimal patient outcomes, but also it should be for optimal doctor and team support for one another. You know, so obviously, as you guys are aware, Nikki, you know, the team is made up of huge um, variety of professionals. Um, and if you can 
uh, infiltrate that with um, with kind of tips and tricks and support. Uh, I think that would go a long way to improving uh, mental health and wellness in your current um, uh, uh, placements and as you begin your journey as a doctor. Those are, that's my that's my advice at least. I don't know, Chris, if you have anything <laughs> to add. Um. I mean, again, I thought that was a brilliant sort of um, uh, range of things that you touched upon then. Um, I can't, what was the question again? Yeah, so the question was, um, so how can students in particular go about um, sort of changing, changing the culture within medicine? Because I think it is really hard feeling that you know, you're sort of so inferior yeah. in a way compared to, you know, consultants and, you know, the people at the top, I suppose. So what yeah. do you think yeah. we can do? Uh, what I was struck by with the charity coming into being was how many people in quite, you know, positions of, of, of authority and influence and power were willing to come and talk and in, in many instances talk from a personal clinical and personal view around mental health over the years that they that they've sort of witnessed it whether they've been a, a surgeon or uh, I said earlier uh, Professor Saxena who was WHO mental health uh, leader and he's now at Harvard he came on you know some really interesting they were they were they were willing to talk about it from their own experiences both clinically and personally, but just literally to come on and talk, that was what was so sort of positive because those people in positions of a power and authority, just by the fact that they're talking about these things starts to normalize it, starts to take away the prejudice, prejudice or the stigma or the misinformation or the misunderstanding of what this is all about. Um, and then literally this podcast, this conversation, what you've done, in the last six months, it, it feels like it, it's another example of, I think, a wind of change, which the COVID has certainly accelerated, but it was there before. And I think, I, I think it's another period in which the, the, the younger generations and some of, the, some of the individuals in the older generations are probably closer than is realized. So like um, Prof Professor Neil Greenberg, he's talking about moral, moral responsibility so in the in the armed forces if i'm right about this dan everybody every individual has immediate access to a therapist or uh, mental health resources um, and there isn't an applicable thing for doctors and neil greenberg is in quite a i think quite an influential position to start and he is promoting that idea and beginning to campaign and you know, uh, lobby for change for that to be brought into the, the infrastructure of, of the NHS mental uh, medical services. Um, so in some ways, I think there's, there's a closeness. It's about bringing people more together through these conversations and people knowing about the charity and other, other resources. Um, yeah. That's some of my, yeah, on that. Sorry, yeah, and I think, I think, you know, in terms of, uh, building on that, what what can the individual do? I mean, the individual can they can contact you know they can contact directly consultants and professors like Professor Neil Greenberg. They can directly email them. You can get his email address, I'm sure, off the off the internet. If this is an area of interest of you to like develop and kind of lobby around, um, you know, there's there's kind of direct things. And like Chris is saying, you know, what you guys are doing now is an amazing thing. Um, I mean, the obvious one is being an ambassador for UK Doc, and it's you know that's that's not. I mean, it is a plug, but it's but it's um, it's a very kind of uh, easy and uh, a nice way of spreading the word of doctors' mental health. And it it you know it's a it's just a nudge. Like you just have to be a constant nudge to people to just to remember to look after their own mental health and well-being. Because although I think as doctors we're aware of it, and we're taught about others' mental health and well-being. Um, uh, we can, like I said earlier, forget our own, even though we're aware of it. And having that nudge, if it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is, to remind us is, a, is an excellent thing. Um, did you want more specifics, Nikki, on, on how you can help? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, like you said, I mean, it is a plug, but at the same time, it, it is true, you know, getting involved in 
organizations like UAK, UOK Doc, that's a really sort of practical thing that people can do. And I mean, are there any, I mean, is there, if there was one thing that sort of each person listening today could do that you think would make a big impact, what do you think it would be sort of one practical thing? Well, they could join the huddle every Wednesday evening, seven till eight. I mean, that's just starting it. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious in a way. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of what we're offering and, and very centered specific to the idea of doctors being a community. And so the huddle is a space to come and uh, listen to other people's stories, tell your stories, talk. Um, you can listen, it's a Zoom uh, Eventbrite uh, uh, platform but you don't have to put your video on. You don't have to talk. You can just be there and listen. Um, we want to make it a, a safe, but also uh, a space that people actively want to come because there's real value benefit in, in joining it. Um, that would be my immediate thought, Dan. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, that's a really good point about the huddle. Um, Okay, I can't remember if you've explained what the huddle is, but it's a it's a group of doctors. Well, and it's, sorry, I, I already did explain it, but I think that's a really good um, a really good starting point, and actually, it'd be really good for medical students to come along to because they can kind of absolutely, you know, get get a feel of maybe some of the worries, and I'm sure you know definitely some of the pressures that you guys feel as a medical students are similar to those as of of doctors and the imposter syndrome that you talk about. I had massive imposter syndrome when I started medical school. My previous uh, kind of occupation was a tennis player. So when I got accepted into medical school, it took me about six months to realize that they accepted me on my own merit and it wasn't a mistake. <laughs> and I'm being genuine. Um, uh, you know, so I think, uh, you know, the huddle is about being able to not being, so uh, the huddle uh, is a very good place to relate to other people. Um, I think overall uh, kind of what you can do is I think if you're, if, if a person is authentic uh, in their story, I think that's a really big thing. So I think if you can be slightly vulnerable, and I know, um, I'm sure some of your follow, um, followers and uh, some of your colleagues have big social media platforms. And I think that if you can be authentic and um, vulnerable uh, without, you know, you don't have to be overexposing on your journeys I think those kind of posts and those kind of stories go a very, very long way because you start to begin to normalize um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be linked to the charity. Um, uh, uh, but I think that's just a, a, a general comment. And actually, I think um, they're also quite popular posts. So I think people really appreciate that kind that uh, authenticity um and when people let their guards down and i guarantee you i guarantee you most people most people would have you know been through something in their life uh, that they could write about and i think if they're interested in helping doctors mental health and that mental health of probably all men of all healthcare professionals being authentic in their stories uh and you know doing it when they when they feel the time is right etc is a really powerful tool i mean one of the um uh, the, the, the last uh, webinar series we did was microsteps. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to be able to provide um, was specific ideas, uh, things to attend to, to, uh, you know, take care of your mental and emotional well-being. I mean, it's an eclectic range of speakers and, and, and do go on to the website because we've sort of broken, had sort of little chunks of the videos to, to give more examples of how to care for yourself. But broadly, the, you know, the, the, the key things are uh, level of exercise or act, active um, sort of physical uh, engagement, sleep, um, uh, lifestyle behaviors. Um, uh, what are some of the other things, Dan? Um, um. Yeah, so so Nikki, this is actually like it's it's um, it's a really good resource. So it's developed by by Harvard. It's evidence based um, uh, and it's being rolled out across the USA. And I think it's been rolled out across East Anglia through UOK Doc uh, a couple of months ago. But it's a micro steps advice is about 30, 40 points. And it essentially outlines very, very simple tasks that you can do during the day to kind of recalibrate um, 
you know, whether that's from drinking some water to um, uh, to learning how to deal with certain stresses yeah. at that time and recalibrate and that, whether that's, you know, when you're washing your hands, think about three things that you're thankful for. But the great thing is that it's evidence-based. And I think that's really important, especially for doctors that, you know, that, that, um, that you guys have something that is tangible and that um, has been validated. And they're, they're available um, uh, through our website um, and also through our Instagram and uh, First Responders First. Um, and they're really good. And you guys uh, can certainly print them off, um, share them, share them with your medical schools, anything like that. Um, yeah, no, thank you I mean, so much. Sorry. No, you go. Well, um, no, you go ahead. <laughs> it, it, and, and just so it's just so clear to me the importance of, uh, you know, th there's such a range of different people in terms of their positions, their age, where they are in their careers, and so forth. But you guys, it's it just so clear to me that that we're going to need a lot of input from you to help accelerate the changes that are taking place. And one thing is just the normalizing of, there's so much of this that's just about normalizing things. And then we can attend to some of, and people can have a, a, a deeper understanding of whether they're more vulnerable to certain mental health issues, um, you know, of a more serious nature. It's still really valuable to have a sense of if you might be vulnerable or have a deeper understanding of some of the markers that might suggest you're more vulnerable. But, th but there's also something that's, central to all of this, which is the, the positives. Part of this is people feel better if they attend to their mental and emotional well-being. Of course, we're talking about, you know, serious mental health and general stress and anxiety, but there's also something just really valuable about the way people can take care of themselves um, to just make them feel better in themselves. And then it's just, it's a win-win in terms of giving them a robustness or a resilience or an ability to navigate such challenging situations in, in the workplace. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I think the fact of it coming from personal experience, um, you know, hearing other people who may be senior or just anyone else who's sort of in the same field of work as you, hearing them speak about their own um, sort of adversity and how they've overcome that or how they deal with it. I think that's a very, that's something that I think is so powerful. And, yeah. you know, I think it's the sort of just being able to like, I think connection has really, is really something that you've both discussed a lot. And I think that really is the basis of um, how change can occur, feeling that you're a part of a safe environment where you can connect with people and connect with that, with other people's stories as well. Yeah. Yeah, completely, completely. Mm. Yeah. So in terms of sort of the next, you know, I suppose five, 10 years, how do you sort of envision sort of healthcare and sort of met like well-being for doctors? What sort of um, maybe institutional changes are you hoping to see or sort of personal changes? Um, yeah, what do you sort of envision? Um, Chris, or... Shall I go? I, I was just trying to accommodate the idea of 10 years ahead. Um, I, th I think it's a great question, but that, that's, uh, no, I think Dan, as a, younger, as a younger man, you should take that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not, um, I, and it's an area that I would like to touch upon is, is the medical schools. Um, you know, I, it would be great to see some kind of curriculum Obviously, you guys, you know, I don't feel like it needs to be hammered home. I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be hammered home, but it doesn't need to be something that, you know, is for five years, hours and hours like a week. But but it would be nice to have something in your curriculum uh, that is there, that is solid, that you guys will remember. Uh, and um, uh, so that's one kind of basic thing. So that will then filter down uh, uh uh, uh, into doctors you know it's a bit like when you have a, a sports club you start with the younger you know like the youngest team and build them up and they will become you know your first 15 or whatever they may become in years to come um, uh, and so I think that's really important uh, uh, to do I think you know kind of just as I'm just on this podcast I'm kind of getting the indication that probably that the like I'm, like I'm very ingrained into the charity and thinking about mental health and well-being. 
every day for some it's you know you can see by probably thinking about it like every minute of every day because i'm trying to get the charity to where it needs to go um and that's a really biased perspective because actually when i go into my team sometimes and i'm still rotating as a junior you know i can see that actually mental health is not spoken about and it's always you know it's it's funny the reactions sometimes i have when i mention the charity to certain teams and um uh i think that needs to change um like i i gave um my deanery uh the webinar um uh, website to uh, pass out and I had a few responses from my colleagues saying that was a brave thing to c- circulate that amongst 400 surgeons and I was just like what you, you know it's so bizarre that mindset I was like why is this a brave thing this is just something that you know should be done like it and it's a really good webinar series really good webinar series um, uh, and I think that shift in 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 mindset would be so good to see um, I think we probably need to acknowledge that burnout is pretty rife and it has been previous to the b- pandemic and it will be post-pandemic and it probably will be for years to come. And I think, you know, it would be good to see something introduced around that. I think a lot of doctors feel burnt out and rather than them just taking sick leave, again, something like Professor Neil Greenberg said, you know, rather than just going off sick, it's better to have them kind of loosely tied to work so they're not completely forgotten about so whether that's they come in and they're on light duties as it were um, uh, I think that would be great to see I think that probably our leaders um, are, are taught about mental health and well-being um, uh, but I think that needs to be more ingrained you know I've had a recent bereavement and the hospital haven't I told seven consultants and I didn't get one response saying my sending them you know their condolences i think that's uh, i think that's extremely bad um but but it's but on the other side i know they're extremely busy you know uh, but but i think you know i think in the corporate world you would have someone checking in on you because that's an area of vulnerability. but you know when you go through something like that they don't you know you need you need someone checking on you i think so i think it's those small shifts um that will accumulate into a much bigger cultural shift um uh and you know i think doctors we we can be quite abrupt and we are language towards one another sometimes out of necessity has to be quite direct especially in emergency situations and we can be very guilty of um that pouring over into um situations where we're not in emergencies and we can continue that abrupt language and actually it's not it's not very nice language um, and it's not very respectful. And uh, I think then there needs to be a shift in that as well, um, in, in, in boundaries. That's a real bugbear of mine, <laughs> yeah. uh, a real bugbear of mine. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so those small changes, I think there's multiple small changes that I can think of, but it comes from ultimately uh, our leaders, medical students, and the juniors being educated in it. And um, once, once we can break down that vulnerability and um, kind of embrace it, then I think actually we'll all function better as individuals and teams uh, within the NHS. Yes, that, I think that's really true. I think the, I mean, small changes are amazing, but I think what's even more remarkable is when all the, the cumulative effect of all those small changes coming together to really make you know, makes a drastic sort of 180 on the culture that we have. And I think the fact that example you just gave, the fact that, you know, no one said said anything in response. I mean, mm. I, I think that's quite, that is quite frankly shocking. And the fact that, like you said, I mean, it's interesting to see sort of the comparison with the corporate world and maybe the lessons that we can learn from the sort of infrastructure there and bringing that into medicine, what sort of positive change that could maybe make as well I think there's so many different angles you can look at it from yeah and I think I, I you know I like I've never worked in the corporate world but I know people that have and I do tend to ask them especially around that situation I've just described and I'm sure that it's because of, you know the hospital you know the consultants are busy but it, it takes two minutes to say that especially as you know that them being leaders I feel that's something that, that should be addressed but I'm you know I do I do um ask people in the corporate world is this normal is that normal and I think you know I think there's probably issues around that you know in the corporate world with lawyers undoubtedly 
etc etc but um, I definitely am one for taking the positives out of other industries whether that's um, athletes and uh, in the athletic world or the military or the corporate world and trying to improve the NHS and I'm sure they would want to you know take some stuff from the NHS and employ it into their world as well but um, yeah definitely definitely uh, a big fan of drawing parallels between other industries. Yes and I think that that really is the only way that you know you can improve anything you know you have to be willing to see what other people are doing and take what works and try and adapt it to the sort of system you're working within so I think that's I think it's amazing and I know um, I believe you like you mentioned you came from an athletic background so it's interesting to sort of hear your views on that and how that can relate to medicine but I think yeah like like you both said really we need to take care of ourselves and really you can't necessarily give your patients the best possible service if you're not looking after yourself and I, I really do think the work that UOK Doc is doing is incredible and everyone listening should you know get look into the webinar series that you have the one that's coming up look at your social media the huddle I think there's yeah just thank you both so much for all the amazing stuff you're doing it really makes just myself talking to both of you it makes me really optimistic for the future and sort of the NHS that I'll be stepping into in a couple of years time. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, no, that's brilliant. And I, it just, sorry, to, I know we're sort of coming closing up, but just again, just this conversation, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's so obvious. It's like, what, why wasn't this done so such a long time ago? Because it's just so clear and so obvious, but it wasn't. And it mean, and therefore it means I think a lot is going to change quite quickly. Um, I think then things will have to start to be refined and evolved. But I think the next five years, just going back to that question, I think just a lot's going to change. Yeah, I mean, it would be like when I first thought about the charity, I spoke to about it with my friend Thomas, who is a very good friend of mine. And he was like, Dan, you know, I can't believe there's a need for this charity. Like, it's unbelievable what you're saying. And he was like, hopefully you know, the NHS may pick up on this and actually there may be no need for UOK Doc in 10 years time. And, you know, he was like, that that would be the ultimate outcome that it's all taken care of, right? Uh, uh, by, by, you know, by, by whatever healthcare system, because it's, the UK is not unique in its situation with the issues of doctors' mental health. It, it goes to Australia, the USA, uh, you know, it's prominent in other healthcare systems. So it's not an any, it's not an integral NHS problem. It's you know, it's more of an industry problem uh, uh, that spans across um, to Australia and the USA. And you know, it would be a great situation. Although the founder of UK dot that, that this would be taken care of. I mean, I don't think that's going to be completely the case. I think there will always be a need for um, uh, for the charity, but I really do hope that it improves. And uh, yeah, thank you for interviewing us, Nikki. No, that's okay. Um, do you just sort of want to sort of plug your sort of social media website where people can sort of find out more and get more involved? Yeah, sure. Do you, what do you want me to say? The actual um, addresses or? Um, yeah, so it's just, you're just UOKDoc on Instagram, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who are listening, um, uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter uh, at UOKDoc. So that's OK spelled O-K-A-Y. Uh, and again, on Instagram with the Instagram handle of UOKDoc and our website is www.uokdoc.org.uk. We will have our webinar series launching on the 4th of March. Uh, we have Julia Samuels confirmed, which is fantastic, and hopefully some other uh, Instagram famous doctors alongside her. Um, and uh, we have some pretty exciting uh, fundraising events coming up, uh, which uh, span the total of 24 hours. So that should be pretty interesting as well, which will be good. And, and again, like I mentioned, our course development uh, uh, in the midterm as well. Just, just, just on, the, on, on the next webinar series, I mean, Julia Samuels uh, set up the child bereavement charity that had uh, uh, Lady Diana as the patron, I think. Um, and she worked um, within, within the medical environment. Um, I think at St. Mary's, was it St. Mary's, Dan? But she, but she also wrote um, um, Grief Works and This Too Shall Pass, two books that... Uh, 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 
death and bereavement, grief was very much her focus. And she wrote a beautiful book, Grief Works. And then this, the next book was, was more general about life moments. She's been on the webinar before, but um, she's very kindly agreed to come back. But an, a new additional bit of the webinars is having an ambassador, ambassador as part of uh, a, a group uh, panel discussion rather than just a one-to-one because -one, we really do want to make the the community an active part of anything we're doing so each of those uh, webinars I think there's six or seven there'll be an ambassador from the charity um, we should so. get um we should get you on Nikki I mean I would love to I would love to get involved quite honestly I mean I think you know, I follow, um, I believe you've sort of done some lives with um, Dr. Tesh before. And um, so I've been involved with her um, through my university's GP society. And that's how I sort of found out about UAK Doc in the first place. And always seeing her sort of stories and sort of the lives that you've done together. It's, it's definitely something I personally want to get involved with more. And I'd encourage, you know, just any medical students listening as well to get involved. Because like we've said, you know, it really does start at the bottom and, Every, everything that we do to get involved can sort of make a difference so yeah I mean I would love to <laughs> feature yeah. well we need we you know it's all about perception right so we need everyone's perception from different specialities from doctors to medical students right so definitely 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 what do you think Chris no absolutely it'd be great it'd be really really good I mean it's partly providing a, a space a platform to have to, to continue these debates and discussions and, and then actively start to use some of what we're learning and insight and understanding, see how we can translate them into active, tangible resources. Yes, exactly, yeah. definitely. Well, um, I'd love to get in touch with you more <laughs> later about this. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome, yeah. very welcome. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. Take okay. care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Future Frontline podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything that we're doing.